0: The lovely humans, I'm YO Lee, and you're listening to Sex Stories, a podcast where we share our most delicious details in an effort to make sex lives everywhere extra awesome. And my guest today, I am very excited to introduce to you, is Z. Welcome, Z. Thanks. Will you pretty please introduce yourself to our listeners?
1: Yes. Hi, I'm Z. I'm 32 and I am non binary trans. I was assigned female at birth, and I currently identify outside the gender binary. I use they, them pronouns. I am pansexual, kinky. I'm a consultant for a living, and I was born on the East Coast, and now I live on the West Coast.
0: What kind of kinky are you?
1: It's easier to list the kinds of kinky I am not.
0: What kinds of kinky are you not?
1: I have not yet ever been interested in or engaged with scat. I don't like being gagged until I vomit. I didn't know that was a thing. Oh, it's a real thing. Yeah, it's a whole porn genre. Yeah, they have the people drink a lot of water and have empty stomachs so that it's less painful for them. But gagging until you have a lot of saliva is one level and then gagging until you throw up is a whole other level.
0: I was thinking like a ball gag, and I'm like, how do you throw up? That's You mean like gag like something's down your throat?
1: Yeah, yeah, like uh, during a blowjob.
0: Got it. Yeah. I know about that, actually. <laughs> I've... I've definitely thrown up deep throating. Yeah. (laughs) A little bit, just a little bit in my mouth.
1: You know, that makes me feel so much better that you have thrown up deep throating because I feel like you talk about loving it and being great at it. And I guess I always just assumed, uh, just hearing it on the podcast, that like that meant that you never were gross. Oh no, that's that's so silly. (laughs)
0: I would say that's one of the parts of it that, yeah, I'm out of control. And also, you know, if I had a partner that was grossed out by the fact that a little bit comes up when my head is held down too long, I uh-huh. so fuck off. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> can you also tell us a little bit about your brain? Yeah,
1: I am neurodivergent. I'm on the autism spectrum.
0: For people who maybe aren't familiar with what that even means, can you give us a brief overview?
1: Yeah. So people sometimes make a mistake that the autism spectrum is a spectrum of high functioning to low functioning. And that's not accurate. It's actually a spectrum of sensory disorders and social symptoms and syndromes. And if you have diagnoses in enough of those arenas, then you have all the colors for the autism spectrum. It's like a rainbow. So I have sensory difficulties. I get overwhelmed in bright spaces. I need to wear blue blocking glasses. I need to be careful about how much extra chronic sound I get. So I have earplugs. If I get overwhelmed, my vision can shrink in or it becomes difficult for me to hear. I also have PTSD and so, The altered states of consciousness that can happen or my altered communication skills definitely come up when my sensory stuff isn't taken care of.
2: When did you
0: first become aware of how those sensory experiences were affecting you as a human being?
1: Oh, very late. Okay. Or I should say, I became aware of that being anything other than the norm very late I was in my 20s. Okay. And that's normal for people who were assigned female at birth. Autism can look very different in us. It's much less diagnosed because the early understanding of autism in the psychological and psychiatric community came from studying affluent white males. And uh, turns out that... When expectations are different for a population and when acculturation is different from a population, their syndromes can manifest very differently. Mm -hmm. So if you think about Rain Man, that's what a lot of psych professionals were taught to look for. Whereas people who are assigned female at birth often get societally accultured to do something called masking a lot better, which is learning how to pretend to be normal Mm -hmm. um, or to appear normal to appear not to have the deficits or disabilities that we have, or the differences. Um, and it's very taxing, it makes us very tired, and so a lot of people who are assigned female at birth who have autism um, have a history of chronic fatigue, uh, which, which really comes from just the, the energy of masking and, and being out in a world that is violent to our senses. Wow.
0: So normally I ask people to start with their early sexual experiences, and I want to do that now in the context of, well, I do want to know about your early sexual experiences. I also want to know how your physical interactions with humans, other humans, has changed since you became aware of how to take care of yourself sensorily. Is that the way to say it?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, It's funny because... We get so little messaging about what things are supposed to be like sexually outside of the movies Mm -hmm. in our culture that sex was one of the areas where I was kind of always taking care of myself sensorily because I didn't have any models, right? So I was just doing what felt good. Mm -hmm. I have a sensory issue called dysesthesia, and that's related to my autism. It means that light touch can sometimes feel very painful, like knives. Really? Yes. So right now I'm brushing my fingertips. That makes my skin crawl. In a bad way. In a bad way. (laughs) And when I was less sensorily taken care of, that feeling was much worse. I've done a lot of therapies for the symptoms that I feel don't serve me, that I don't want. And so I can enjoy a, a much bigger range of sensations now. But when I was little... And I was just discovering my body, masturbation and sex with myself and touching myself was one of the places where I could really get the kind of firm touch and hard pressure that my body craved. And so I would jam my body into really tight spaces, like in between the bed and the nightstand so that I could get some firm pressure on my back and in front of me because that feeling of being contained was really good for me. Mm -hmm. And so later... And this was still even before I ever had a diagnosis. As I got into BDSM and I learned about the two different kinds of bondage, you know, about this constrictive and restrictive bondage. There are two different kinds of bondage. Constrictive, which is when you are squeezed, right? Like a boa constrictor. Constricted. Mm -hmm. And restrictive, which restricts your movement, right? So one feels like feeling held and one feels like feeling held back. Mm. Right? And so you can combine them. You can have something that's both constrictive and restrictive, like a mummy suit. You can have, you know, handcuffs with a lot of give that are just restrictive. Or you could have, you know, an arm sleeve that holds your arms in place and constricts and restricts Mm -hmm. them. As I was growing up, I had experiences with constrictive bondage in the form of rope. As you were growing up, like, How young were you? I was a teen. I was really lucky. I had a girlfriend when I was 14 years old. And, you know, back then there were like three movies for lesbians, there was Better Than Chocolate, there was If These Walls Could Talk Too, and there was Bound, right? If, If you were a queer kid, you were watching those three movies with your friends or like showing them to them to see who responded. And so uh, we were playing with, you know, rope and restriction and constriction safely. Luckily, we had the Internet then to keep us to help us do our research. And we did our research. But I I was playing with giving myself the, the deep sensations that I wanted in ways that had nothing to do with penetration sexually and sensually from from a young age.
0: Can you tell us specifically what those ways are?
1: There's so many of them. So I remember when I was a little kid, my mom had this back massager, which I'm sure Uh is a story you've heard a million times.
0: No, I mean, my mom had one too.
1: (laughs) She kept it in her nightstand drawer and it was palm sized and it it, it was activated by pressure. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you push this big, palm-sized button, and the whole thing vibrated. And my favorite way to have an orgasm, as once I found this massager, was once everybody was out of the house to sneak into their bedroom, steal her massager from her nightstand, go into my room, and just really push that thing against my clit, hard. And just leave it there until I came, which was pretty fast. It was so low effort, And I was so tired all the time. It was such a relief. And maybe I would be, you know, squeezed in a tight space while I did it so that I had squeezing around my body and the, the hard pressure at the same time. When I was a young teen, I had a boyfriend who I wanted to have sex with, but I had some general sense that, like, we weren't ready, I wasn't ready. And, um... I thought, well, anal isn't really sex, which I don't, I I wasn't Catholic. I don't know where I got it, but I bought a butt plug and- What? How? Where? Well, I had access to Times Square and they had all those sex stores. I mean, we're talking like the old school sex stores with all the DVDs in them where you walk in and like everything goes in a black plastic bag like at the liquor store. So they don't
0: give a shit. They'll just sell it to you.
1: Yeah, they'll oh. they'll sell you a butt plug. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, if you go in looking for a sex toy and you hand them cash and you don't look like you're twelve, then, th- yeah, they'll they'll help you out. And uh, I, I bought a butt plug and I played with anal a lot, and that continues to be something that I that I love because it's a really intense sensation, and it kind of drowns out the noise and makes things very quiet in my body. And that that really relaxes me. And I didn't wind up having sex with him, but I, I learned that I liked anal. Wonderful.
0: Can you tell us any details about things like blowjobs and going down on partners? Early experiences, mid-experiences, things you love now.
1: Totally. So uh, my first really serious relationship I was dating from pretty young. I, I, I've i always been a, a togetherness person. I always had pets. You know, I really liked being around animals and, and people. I felt that that was calming for me, even though I'm not particularly extroverted. I just, I like having other bodies around me. And so I think that that lent itself to a pretty early dating life. And I was exploring with making out and having my body touched from 12 or 13. I mean, I was, I was kissing around 11 and I think my first partner orgasm was having my wrist licked and bitten. What? Yeah. How? You had an orgasm? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I can I can have orgasms from lots of parts of my body. Nipples, which is pretty common, I think. Neck, wrists, the insides of my elbows, the insides of my thighs. I have a lot of sensitive places on my body that if my partners relax and spend some time and work up some appetite for really exploring those sensations with me, it can lead to not just one, but multiple orgasms. I think that that is one of the other sides of being so sensitive i'm so sensitive that sometimes it hurts and also i'm so sensitive that there is a lot of pleasure to be mined
0: have you ever had a partner Uh, maybe this is a horrible idea but have you ever had someone like i'm imagining one of those cards that you check off the boxes of like all the different options and like were they like earlobes neck uh, What's this? Anticubital fossa. What's it called? Elbow pit. <laughs> 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 what did you just call it? The inside of my elbow. Inside of your elbow. Okay. that it's called an anticubital fossa elbow pit. <laughs> like, has anyone ever been patient enough to stay away from the go-to moves to explore all of those?
1: I mean, the guy that I'm thinking of who basically went down on my wrist and licked and bit it until I came, I think, more than once... We never went past second base,
0: right? I mean. Well, how do you count bases when all these other things can make you have the sexual feelings?
1: First of all, bases are bullshit. They're based on the male orgasm and the idea that vaginal penetration is somehow the be all end all of sex. They are? Totally. But you can have bases with lesbians. You can. I mean, it's. I don't want to say that anybody else's framework is like across the board, harmful and useless, because obviously it's important to have benchmarks for the ways that we talk about things. Mm -hmm. That being said, I think that we talk about sex a lot as a culture in the same way that we talk about storytelling. There's supposed to be a buildup and then a release, and that's the male orgasm or the way that we've traditionally understood the male orgasm in Eurocentric cultures. I don't think that it accommodates for all of the different kinds of pleasure and non-orgasmic pleasure that sex is. And when you really start taking sex apart and include all of the kinds of sex that, you know, someone who is disabled or a stone butch what traumatized. What is a stone butch? A stone butch is someone usually assigned female at birth who doesn't want to be penetrated. I don't even know if it's, it's, it's probably not a term that's much loved anymore. But back when I was a a baby queer, it was a term that got used a lot in the lesbian community. And if you start integrating the experiences that all different kinds of people have of sex, some people don't like penetrative sex. Some people will never have penetrative sex. Seeing penetrative sex as fourth base or, or home base feels really exclusive exclusive to me
0: i always thought that the home run was an orgasm so i never
1: i love that that's i think that's what it is i don't think that's what it is i think that's what it is I, i i love you redefining it that way well i also just
0: think that the idea of build up and release like i also experienced that as a female who has orgasms But I think that that's the most boring form of an orgasm is to just like go, 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 done. Yeah. Like that's the boringest version. I mean,
1: I know people who what they get off on is the delay of the orgasm or the orgasm never happening, right? For those people, even orgasm being the home run is kind of besides the point, right? I think that the point of sex for different people is different. Yeah. Yeah. And um But
0: I'm asking you about your experience. I want you to give the most details about your own experience.
1: I did a lot of making out and a lot of body kissing and petting and touching. A ton of dry humping. I still love dry humping. You know, it's kind of like when you're a kid and you want to stay up until midnight on New Year's Eve and you're not old enough and you're not old enough and then you finally get to. And then when you get to a certain point in adulthood, you're like, you know what I want to do for New Year's? I wanna go to sleep at nine o'clock, right? Dry humping's like that for me. Like, I get to have sex whenever I want. And actually rubbing my body against something while or someone while I'm wearing jeans and coming without almost any of the biological risk or any of the messiness. And I don't even really like wearing clothes. So like there's something subversive and kinky about that for me. I'm super into it. You can dry hump without clothes. Yeah. I totally, I I also dry hump without clothes. (laughs) But developmentally, like as as a teen, tons of making out, tons of dry humping, tons of body kissing and touching. And when I lost my virginity to my girlfriend and, you know, side note, virginity is a construct.
0: I say partnered sexual debut.
1: My partnered sexual debut, well... What does that mean? First partnered orgasm or first partnered orgasm engaging with my to, genitals? You
0: get to pick for yourself.
1: Yeah. My, my partnered sexual debut, I relate to it because this was the time in my life where I was thinking about it as virginity, right? So I had an experience when I was 15 where I decided I wanted to lose my virginity. Looking back, I don't think about it that way because I think that sex is so many things. And my partnered orgasmic debut happened way before this. But in terms of deciding to be naked with somebody and have their mouth on my genitals until I came, that was my girlfriend in high school. I think I was a freshman. It was great.
0: (laughs) Did you tell her what to do? Did she know what to do? She was dominant. Okay. And how was it communicating around your physical sensitivities?
1: She really had an appetite for giving me the kinds of sensations that I already wanted. We were really lucky to be super sexually compatible. She wanted to make me feel contained and held and intense sensations and... She was so, so good at doing that. I really, she's one of the best doms I've ever had.
0: Do you still talk to her?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, we're friends. She's one of the best doms I've ever had, you know, and it's, that was half my life ago and and we were kids. It really, it really showed me that a good dom is as much a caring mindset and a willingness to learn together and communicate as it is to do with any kind of experience. So yeah, she communicated a ton. She asked me questions. She asked for affirmative verbal consent. She really paid attention to my noises and my breath and what I was responding to and how my body was moving. I think the first time we had sex, she tied me down and I was really comfortable with that. Did you talk about it ahead of time? Yeah. Yeah, we talked about everything ahead of time.
0: Did you call her mistress or any sort of thing like that? Like, were you explicitly kinky, or were you just doing kinky things, that sounds like, safely?
1: We were very risk-aware. You know, if we were going to play with rope, we both researched how to play with rope and talked about our concerns and questions beforehand and had safe words. I don't know if back then we related to it as kinkiness. I mean, we were into leather and harnesses and sex toys and... I think it was just normal for us because it was both of us.
0: I did not even know sex toys existed until I like went to a sexual... Like I'd heard of a dildo. I'd heard of a vibrator. I didn't know, you know, I just didn't know the things.
1: I think that if you're gay... And you don't live on a farm. Right. If, if If you're gay and you're lucky enough to be around other gay kids and you've seen one of the three gay movies... Um, (laughs)
0: do they have sex toys in them? I
1: have to think about that. But I think at some point you realize like penetration isn't just for straight people and it's either sex toys or a cucumber.
0: Lovers, this episode is sponsored by Blue Chew. We all know that the foundation to an awesome sex life is excellent mental and physical health. But if proper
2: rest, exercise, and a healthy lifestyle aren't leading to the blood flow you'd like when and where you'd like it, check out bluechew.com. Blue Chew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra, Cialis, and Levitra, but in chewable tablets at a fraction of the cost.
0: You can take them anytime, day or night, so you can plan ahead or be ready whenever the opportunity arises. And the process is simple. Sign up at bluechew.com, consult with one of their licensed medical providers, and once you are approved, you'll receive your prescription within days. The best part, it's all done online, so no visits to the doctor's office, no dealing with awkward physicians who aren't trained to talk about sex lives, plus no waiting in
2: line at the pharmacy. Blue Chew's tablets are made in the USA and prepared and shipped direct to your door in a discreet pack. They always say first impressions are important, but what about lasting
0: impressions? Lovers, I do believe that we can always make loving, lasting impressions by connecting and being present and chasing our pleasure and our partner's pleasure. And if your priority is making a
2: deep, deep impression between two beautiful, enthusiastic thighs or cheeks in the name of partnered pleasure, I get it. I've worn a strap on now. I too love
0: having a hard cock. Blue Chew and I want you to have better sex. Discover your options at BlueChew.com. Chew it and do it. And we've got a special deal for our listeners. Try Blue Chew free when you use our promo code LOVER at checkout. You just pay $5 for shipping. That is BlueChew.com promo code LOVER to receive your first month free. Visit BlueChew.com for more details and important safety
2: information. And thank you to Blue Chew for sponsoring the podcast. Well, I grew up on
0: a farm. I had plenty of cucumbers, but it didn't occur to me.
1: (laughs) Well, just... P.S.A. If it's a cucumber, they, they have tiny little spines on them, so you definitely want to use a condom. Okay, so
0: we've heard a little bit about you receiving. Tell me some of your favorite things to do to a partner.
1: I'm such a bottom Here's the thing
0: about talking about bottoming. It doesn't mean you're lazy. It doesn't mean you're inactive. Sometimes it means you're that much more uh, like, excited to serve, which can be a very active
1: thing. That's true. I think I'm looking at it through a lens largely of disability. Can Um, you explain your lens to us? Yeah, totally. I had a lot of chronic fatigue growing up, and I had problems with my joints. So... I could fall asleep in the middle of a sexual session if I didn't use my energy wisely. Mm-hmm. And I'm multi-orgasmic, so my partner's like making me come a lot often. And that means... That
0: was said with an eye roll, just so you know. <laughs> oh, it must be so hard to have so many orgasms.
2: <laughs>
1: Poor you. Well, it it can it can lead to some shame for me about not being as giving um, or not having as much energy to give. And I know that for some of my partners, my pleasure is a form of gift Mm -hmm. and I really enjoy those kinds of relationships, but it was a real process to get to a place of self-acceptance about that. So I would say like the first answer to your question of what I like to give is one of the things I really like to give is my pleasure, like my orgasms. That's something that I'm very equipped to give. When I'm topping, just like you said, I'm frequently a service top, right? I get off on what's really getting my partner off. And please
0: give us details.
1: Well, I'm really good at giving anal because I love getting anal. Mm-hmm. and But please tell us how. Yeah, okay, so my tongue, my fingers, prostate massagers. Please give us
0: details.
1: Butt plugs.
0: Okay, in a fantasy universe where this is on the table in a consensual sort of way, and if I was like, hi, I'm interested in a rim job from you, what does that look like from you?
1: For me, I like to take my partner in the shower and wash them.
0: Mm -hmm. Should I shave my butthole ahead of time?
1: Um... I would never ask anybody to shave their butthole because of the ingrowns thing. I think that if somebody wants a butt wax, that's really fun. Waxes
0: leave me ingrown everywhere. I use an electric razor that is designed for old men's necks.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, it's personal. I don't have body hair preferences in terms of body hair removal. I, I really like, I mean, if anything, I really like body hair. And if somebody's freshly showered, you know, the only smells that the hair is holding on to are really like musky, human, oily smells, which are my favorite.
0: Do you like body hair, the feeling of body hair on your own self
1: too? I love feeling my body hair on myself. I remove it for kinky reasons for some partners. And I also make it very clear that that is a kink activity that is negotiated. Mm -hmm. I Don't want it to be an expectation that I am going to uphold some sort of beauty standard that I don't subscribe to. Hair or no hair on their butthole, I would take them in the shower and wash them and rinse them. I might start going down on them in the shower depending on how much they can relax. And like this, the layout of the shower really matters for this one, like the angle of the water and how much room you have on the wall.
0: I don't think I've ever. Given a rim job to somebody standing up, that seems hard.
1: Um, There are... Butt shape matters a That's lot. That's what I was going to say. Butt okay. shape matters a ton. <laughs> uh, like... <laughs> it, it, you know, it depends on... If the person is wheelchair-bound, I'm not giving a rim job in the shower.
0: Have you been with a wheelchair user? Yeah. Hmm. Will you tell our listeners about it? Sure.
1: I am disabled myself and so I need sexual accommodations and I think that sex with disability is something we don't really talk about a lot. We did things in bed, you know, they they needed help getting from the chair to the bed, but once in bed, like, they had use of their arms for moving around um, and full sensation and I guess don't feel like
0: you need to answer for all of humanity I'm just asking what was your personal experience with this person so you're in the bed what could they feel? they could feel everything what kind of conversations did you have ahead of time about what they might need or what you might need to do to Um, support them
1: my major concern was about my ability to read body language because there was limited lower limb mobility. Mm-hmm. And so the usual kind of like tilting of pelvis well, in response to things was not so much a thing. Mm-hmm. And we, we made code words. That was great. It was really, really, really fun. I like giving code words that all sound yummy so that nobody's afraid that they're going to make somebody feel rejected. You know, you don't have to pull away if you're afraid to, you know, offend somebody that you don't know that well. Although I think that sexual situations like it would be great if everybody felt safe to do that. I'm very conscious that that's not always the case. So just having that cue of ah gives me like, oh, you can't angle your pelvis away from me right now. But like I have a verbal feedback where you don't have to come up with words for like, hey, maybe try something different or like, please don't do that anymore. Mm -hmm. Right and their arms were very strong, and I came a lot. Amazing. Yeah.
0: So back to rim jobs.
1: Okay, back to rim jobs.
0: How deep can your tongue go inside, and do you do tongue exercises? It
1: depend. I do do tongue exercises.
0: For rim jobs?
1: Um, I do tongue exercises because my... T- tongue swells in my mouth in response to foods. Hmm. And so I have to do them to keep my, my speech okay. Um, cause otherwise I, I develop some speech differences that make it harder for me to be in the world. Mm-hmm. So my tongue is pretty strong and, um, h- how deep my tongue can go really depends on how tight the person's butthole is. Right? Like if they're really a relaxy butthole kind of person, I can go super deep. Um, but like my tongue's not gonna fight an anal sphincter and win. <laughs> and also I don't wanna fight an anal sphincter. Like I, mm-hmm. I just I just wanna do what like feels good and is invited, yeah. you know? So hard it depends.
0: When I started giving rim jobs my initial experience emotionally with something along the lines of, am I doing it right? Am I doing it right? Am I doing it right? Until I was like, I'm doing it right. And then I got to this place of like, pleasure in doing it in a way that I'd never experienced. What's your experience like?
1: I love giving people their first fun experience with anal. That's just something that makes my heart sing. So for
0: a first experience... How do you make them feel comfortable or what is it that gets your heart to sing specifically? The
1: The shower really helps. People get so self-conscious and just like being in there with them and showering, like they don't have to worry if they showered right. And also I'm allergic to a lot of like scents Mm -hmm. and people, if they're getting ready for sex, sometimes they spray all kinds of things on their body or they use lotions and I can't with that. So if, if we get in the shower together, I get my accessibility needs met and they get their emotional needs met of like, okay, I'm definitely clean enough. I just showered. And usually I'll like oil them up and give them a massage on their whole body because like their, their butt is just part of their body and I get them like feeling good and melty and yummy. And then I kind of move to like inner thighs and massage their butt I'm I'm massaging a, an imaginary butt in midair right now. Yeah, it looks like that.
0: Um. <laughs> for those of you that want to know, I'm mirroring for the YouTube video.
1: <laughs> and then I start really gentle on the outside, and I only go inside when it's really invited. And I do you start with a finger or a t- no? No, I never start with a finger. No, but like like outside there can be gentle. I feel like the gentlest that I am able to give sensation is definitely with my tongue and my lips. Like once it's a finger, it's it's firmer than my lips can ever get and firmer than my tongue usually is. Like I have to make my tongue really hard to be as firm as a finger. I like to put on a black dragon glove. There, That's like a black non-latex glove because it looks sexy and it also like removes the any shot of me having a hangnail that's going to snag on something or like a little bit of a sharp edge keep my nails short and I I put on a black dragon glove and if I'm going to use my finger I lube it up a lot like I don't just use spit I use tons of silicone lube and then it's a lot of like gentleness and kind of overwhelming the area with warm wetness and sensation massage until they're really not sure where their butt ends, their butthole begins, right? I feel like getting rid of the, of the boundary between like, that's outside my body and that's inside my body is a big part of calming people down and relaxing them. And then I'll get in there maybe with a little bit of tongue, maybe with a little bit of a gloved finger I just think people have a lot of psychological and emotional shame stuff around specifically buttholes. And I take a really delicious pleasure in dismantling that aspect of the oppressive patriarchy. Like, buttholes are for everybody. Everybody has one. We are human for a limited amount of time and we should enjoy it. Yes, <laughs> agree,
0: well said. Thank you. I also do feel that way personally about a lot of my orifices, even though I get weirded out by ear stuff sometimes, like that's such a mood thing for me.
1: Me too, I get weirded out by ear stuff, ear hole stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. uh, my ear holes don't like being touched or breathed in. I love having my ears breathed on. I like the sensation of breath, but when somebody's breathing in my ear, I want to die.
0: And tongues, it's interesting because with tongues in my ear, some people like to lick inside and that used to really weird me out until it was a thing that my master, my former master did to me, for me, at me, about me, in me. And that was okay. I think, I haven't tested this with another lover. I think if it were not a dom, I would not be be okay with it.
1: Uh, There are tons of things that I wouldn't be okay with if it weren't a Well,
0: yes, but that is not one, your stuff is not like a thing that requires training or safety or all of that. But yes, there are many, there are thousands of things I wouldn't agree to.
2: Lovers, we are going to take a quick pause for a word from our sponsor. And they have given me notes to do a sultry female voice. So I'm very excited and I'm going to do my best. Did you know the Flora app is a safe place to open up? embrace your desires and find like-minded people. This is the story of one couple who found the threesome of their dreams, discovered a new level of shared passion and stepped into a whole other realm of possibilities, all thanks to Fleur. As life's routines settled in, Robert and Lucy found themselves yearning to explore uncharted territories. So they downloaded Fleur and embarked upon a thrilling journey of sensual experimentation, learning more about each other's desires in the process. Open-minded and adventurous, Robert and Lucy dreamt of adding a new dimension to their intimacy, sharing the touch of another woman, being witnessed and connecting in a way that transcends the ordinary. In Fleur's diverse and accepting community, Lucy connected with Emily, a babe craving the same experiences, so they invited Robert to the conversation. The chemistry built and anticipation heightened as they exchanged messages until finally their agreed-upon date night arrived. A gorgeous hotel was the setting for their evening of pleasure, passion, and connection. A shared exploration that fulfilled each party's desires. Floor app celebrates the beauty of open-minded connections. It's a platform where fantasies come to life and desires are embraced without judgment. For couples seeking adventure with others or individuals keen on exploring, Floor invites us all to a world where every desire is a possibility waiting to unfold. Download Floor now, express your desires freely, and find like-minded people today.
1: I mean, there are sensations that I like that I think of as demeaning or shameful or words that I like having said about me by a dom who I know is going to take care of me later and assure me that none of those things were true and that I'm safe. And there are ways that I like to be made uncomfortable when I know that the dom really likes it, right? And, like, if I'm being made uncomfortable and it's just because you think I like it, that's terrible that's worse that's bad that's bad that's just downright bad
0: and so much of the sex of my early 20s (laughs) yeah
1: you like this right this is a thing that people like no maybe not me
0: (laughs) (laughs) and as we're thinking about these different sensations and things you do like and don't like as an adult person who now understands how your body and sensations work a little bit better have you noticed that that shapes the conversations that you're having with lovers about your likes and dislikes?
1: Yes. I I think the main thing is super simple, which is that I have become conscious that my general dislike for light touch is not the norm. And that took me some time to understand because I happened to be very sexually compatible with my first serious sex partner. And that relationship lasted for two years. So I really kind of got lulled into a sense of security about like, oh, this is what sex is like. People touch you in ways that you like. And then I went out and dated. (laughs) And especially started dating men more. And they get fed all kinds of ideas from media and from porn about what's sexy and what people like. And I started really having to have conversations about like, Somebody would do something, and obviously I was not responding. And I was used to a kind of sexual relationship where, like, my lack of response would be taken as a no. Mm. And all of a sudden, it was, like, the norm out there. Like, people took a lack of response as, like, oh, I guess I'll do this for longer until they respond. And I was, like, no. And so I found that I had to start teaching people, like. And the thing that I led with and that I still lead with with new sex partners is listen, my relationship to light touch is probably different than what you're used to. And I need a certain amount of pressure for it to feel good. So if you're trying to hurt me, light touch is a great place to go. Mm. Like if you want me to be suffering and in a lot of pain, here's a shortcut. But if that's not the kind of relationship that we're making, these are the things that feel good. And that's heavy pressure It's a lot of the same stimulation for a long time. I get into a groove and I want to ride it out. Every time, and this is something that's true in my autistic life at large and also true in my sex life, if I'm doing something, I don't like task switching. So even changing positions for me can be very disruptive.
0: Changing sexual positions? Yeah,
1: changing sexual positions, like, If I'm enjoying something, I want to enjoy it. And if I'm giving you a lot of enthusiastic, verbal, affirmative consent, that doesn't mean, okay, now switch it up and take it to the next level. It means, like, let's do this more and more intensely. Mm. What else? What else about communication? Did I answer your question?
0: Do you talk with partners ahead of time about being autistic? Oh, yeah. What's that conversation like?
1: One of my symptoms is that I can become nonverbal when I'm uncomfortable. So I need my partners to pay a lot of attention to my body language. If I start to lock up or freeze, I need them to see that. Mm. And so that's something that I have them look out for ahead of time. My, I mean, it's it's hard to get me in bed if you're not already pretty down with my weirdness, my divergences, I'm pretty, obviously pretty weird. And so it's seldom that I wind up in a sexual situation with somebody who doesn't already know that I'm autistic.
0: Because you talk about it. Because
1: I talk about it. And because, you know, pretty early on in a relationship with me, where it even might become sexual, people will say something to me like, you're different from other people in this way that I really like. And my answer to that is usually, I'm autistic. Mm -hmm. Which, you know, it's not my whole personality. It's not the only thing about me, but it's a really important thing about me. Mm -hmm. My memory is different than other people's. The, The things that I hear and hold on to and the understandings that I have about what people have said, those live in me differently than I think they live in a lot of other people, and people notice that. I th-
0: Can you say how?
1: Yeah. I was just having a conversation today, actually, with somebody who said, they, they asked me a question, and I answered it with something that they had said to me about uh, three or four months ago in passing. And they said, how did you remember that thing that I said? And the shortest answer to that question is I'm autistic. Right. That, that is a thing that this brain held on to. And I know that it was in passing. And I have a catalog of our conversations. And, you know, this card in the catalog file popped up when you brought up this topic. And then he made a joke and I answered the joke with another thing that he had said months prior. Right. So how does that work for you sexually? I have a file in my mind for what has worked for each partner in the past. And sex is kind of a game for me in exploring and intensifying and multiplying pleasure based on past experiences. It's like, it's about building an experience library together. Does that make sense?
0: It's not my experience, but it sounds awesome.
1: I like it. I like sex a lot. How far back does your
0: library go, or your catalog of information?
1: I mean, it goes back to early masturbation. Yeah.
0: I would love to hear some details about kinks you enjoy.
1: Okay, well, I like constructive and restrictive bondage. So I like being tied up with ropes and tape. I like being suspended from the ceiling with ropes.
0: Have you been suspended from the ceiling with ropes many times? Yes. Can you tell a little bit about where that happened or how you met the rope tops? Yeah.
1: Yeah. I had a friend who brought me to something called a rope share, which is where rope tops practice their skills. And they shared a rope top with me that they really enjoy. And so I had my first experience being suspended with a person who was trusted by a a trusted friend of mine. Do they just, you walk up
0: and they're just like open for business in this event or there Um, was an introduction made or how does that? Yeah,
1: yeah. She made an introduction. I had, I think, reached out, maybe I'd reached out by text before the event I've tied with them a few times since, and I've tied with other people at that event since. Did you go upside down? Yes.
0: What's that like for your brain, blood-wise?
1: It is... so calming. It's so soothing. I'm also a masochist, so the pain from the rope, all that pressure pain from the rope, the deep, heavy sharp, constant pressure from the ropes wrapped around my thighs and my arms hypnotizes me into a really safe-feeling, happy place where I'm getting the sensation that I want and need and I know that the rope top is enjoying creating the container for that And I also know that it's not as physically taxing as if they were putting all that sensation into my body just with their body, right? Like this tool of this rope, the leverage that they are accessing by using it is multiplying both of our pleasure.
0: Do you get dizzy when you come down? Or is it so slow that it doesn't matter?
1: The rope top I love the most teaches other rope tops that taking somebody down should last as long or longer as putting them up and it is absolutely a high coming down is a high and then it's like coming down from drugs (laughs) that sounds so fun i want to be a tide it's amazing it's super super fun
0: i watched it happen at a sex party i went to a couple years ago and it was just beautiful and this Sub had very long hair and appeared to be female bodied. I didn't have a conversation with them, but it was so beautiful to watch. It was like art and this rope top. I mean, they, they were a couple as well. And just to watch them together afterward, it was beautiful.
1: It's so hot. What else? Okay. Other kinds of bondage. I like, I love, it's a yoke. Really, where my neck and my hands are bound by cuffs, locked cuffs to a a rod, so they're sort of held out. I hate spreader bars, and I have a partner who loves to make me hate a spreader bar. A
0: spreader bar is different from a a yoke. Is just like a, a yoke
1: is hands and neck. A spreader bar, the one I'm talking about, is between your feet, and you hate it. When I come, I like to put my legs oh, together. Oh, yeah, me too. Like I rub my legs together like a cricket. Oh, oh, <laughs>
0: you, like you you rub them?
1: I I they they're rubbing. Can you do this on camera? Yeah, they're they're like rubbing over each other.
0: Okay, interesting. Am I doing it right?
1: It's almost like I'm scissoring myself. Like I'm moving my pussy around with my legs while I come, and so if I if I don't have that movement. I have to relax my body so much more to allow the orgasm to happen without the sensation that I'm used to providing myself. There's a thing, there's like a normal autistic thing called stimming, where you stimulate by giving your body a sensation that it's used to having. So like rubbing your hands together or biting your finger or whatever. And I have a stimming habit of rubbing my legs together while I come. So when that's taken away from me, I have to consciously work so much harder to relax, to let it happen.
0: Do you do that even if you're coming from somebody going, like, making out with another part of your body? So if it's your... Yeah, totally. Yeah.
1: Okay, cool. Yeah, I stay rubbing my legs together. What about pet play? Oh, I love being a pet. What kind of pet? Okay, I am many kinds of pet, and sometimes I am many kinds of pet at once. So I'm a dragon. I'm a kitty. I'm a bunny. I'm very, very occasionally a puppy. I'm really only a puppy with other puppies, because puppies prefer usually to play with puppies than kitties. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I'll play with puppies as a kitty if they want me to, but, like, I'll I'll go puppy for some puppy play.
0: Do you ask that verbally, or do you just make animal cute? Like, how do you figure it out?
1: Depends on the scene. I've done it both ways. Okay. Like, I have asked a puppy to play as a kitty and been swatted away, and then asked to play by- Wait,
0: you got swatted?
1: Yeah, I got swatted that away. Doesn't seem
0: like a very puppy-like gesture. That's
1: true. I'm not really in a like critical frame of mind when I'm doing it, you know. I know. Made it sense of the time. Not,
0: I'm just giving my commentary.
1: <laughs> so, uh and then I like went in and went Hoof, and it got the affirmative like yes, play with me tail wag. Do you have different tails? Yes. I love butt plug tails. I have bunny tails and kitty tails and fox tails and um I don't have a dragon tail. I could see it
0: was a good fox.
1: I'm an excellent fox. Do you have ears? I have many kinds of ears. Mm. I have sparkle ears from the drugstore. I have fluffy ears from the internet. I have many kinds of ears. Yeah.
0: How does it work for you in terms of what does that play look like? So you play around. How long does it last? Does it lead into... Because I think a lot of people don't understand necessarily how that kink does or doesn't relate to sexual sensations.
1: Oh, yeah. Okay. So for me, pet play has to do with hierarchy. My understanding of social hierarchy, I have to think really hard about social hierarchy. That's, that's one of the facets of the way that my brain works. It's not as instinctive to me as it is to a lot of other humans. And so having really clear social hierarchy makes me relax because I don't have to think about it so hard. So if I'm a pet, I know that my owner or my master or my human is in charge and I get to relax and make silly noises and move the way that I want to move. And if they discipline me or give me rules or interact with me, I know that I haven't done anything wrong because I have this sense of just innocence. And I get to do, I get to really live in pleasure and outside of the human expectations of language, which is very, very relaxing for me. And then if I'm playing with other pets, I know that we're peers. I know that nobody's expecting things out of me that are harder for me, like language. And I get to just assert things. It's much more of a primal consent space where you're allowed to try things. And if the answer is no, you know, you'll get swatted away or something. That's very freeing for me. Which doesn't mean, I mean, we do talk about, you know, consent and invited activities and limits beforehand.
0: It also sounds like you're in spaces where that is part of the agreement in arriving there.
1: Yeah. If I'm playing at parties, usually when I'm playing with other subs, I'm playing at parties or other pets. I don't have any lovers right now who are other pets i'm thinking but i think that's true and you know it's funny i'm in a bunch of autism groups on facebook where you know we talk about our experiences and one of the things that gets talked about a lot is like oh i found this partner and he doesn't think i'm weird for making animal noises in normal life about things right or to try to communicate And that has always been a part of my experience. Like, often it's easier for me to vocalize as an animal than as a human. And so that kind of goes seamlessly into my sex life. But when I discovered just how much I like having a penis in my vagina while I have a butt plug in my butt, Mm -hmm. that's when it all came together with pet play. Because I was like, there are all these butt plug tails. And so... The number one phrase out of my mouth during pet play is, fuck the tail into me. Like, at some point, I'm having a great time, and I'm like, yeah, fuck that tail into me. Because I'm getting pounded, and the tail is pushing into my butt, and it's, it's such a good feeling. It's so good. Amazing. Yeah.
0: How does one discipline a dragon?
1: Well, I like to think of my dragon as, like, toothless from How to Train Your Dragon, so, you know, I'm very powerful and big and strong, but I'm very playful and really I'm there to serve. And if I'm doing something wrong, it's because I'm scared or it's because I don't know how. I'm I, Honestly, when I'm a dragon, I'm a baby dragon. And that's, you know, it, that goes into daddy-baby play, which is another dynamic that I like to play with in my kink relationships. And... Just in my experience talking to my autistic friends, age regression is like a thing that I have some common experiences with some friends around. I think it's a lot like pet play in in that just the onerous social expectations of normal human adult behavior are removed. And that is particularly a relief for those of us who struggle to mask. But I I think it's a relief for a lot of people. And so when I'm, when I'm a dragon, I'm a baby dragon, and that intersects with both my daddy-baby play and my pet play. And I believe from a parenting perspective that discipline is best done with love and a firm hand. I'm not super into punishment. I have partners who are into punishment, and I might take it as humiliation, but like, I don't buy into punishment making a better behaved, happier, healthier being. And so there's a lot of forgiveness in disciplining a baby dragon. There's a lot of, like, baby, do you know you're very big and that that will hurt people? Like, there's a lot of teaching me about my limits. Or, like, no, baby, this is when you sit down and you put daddy's dick in your mouth. Amazing. (laughs) You can have playtime later. We We can play fetch later. Right? It's... It's, it's really toothless from How to Train Your Dragon.
0: Do you have a sex question for me?
1: I have so many sex questions for you. Um, is there anything that you have learned doing this podcast that you want to try that you haven't had a chance to try it?
0: Hmm. Oh my God, yeah, I mean, the answer is yes. And now I have to remember what it is. Also because I'm so out of touch with my sexual being right now. I mean, I want to be tied. I want to go upside down. I don't know if I could handle it because my brain, it might actually be too much for my head. Sometimes being upside down, you know, in yoga stuff is not good for me. And I know that things change a lot when I'm in anything subspace or subspace adjacent and sometimes just the excitement of that experience might might be i mean i'm i had a guest two weeks ago that was talking about how she used to go visit her fireman friends while they were waiting for calls at the station and give blowjobs and that has entered my realm of fantasy it'll probably stay in the realm of fantasy because i don't know any firefighters and like how do you make that happen and now i have herpes in my throat so it's like not the most you know whatever um (laughs) I mean, I definitely covet some of the group sex experiences other people have had. I definitely want to go to more play parties. I don't know how that will happen for me in my life because I don't want to go alone. And any sort of partnership that might feel good there feels so far away. So, but who knows? So yeah, so I'm just going to say rope stuff for now. There's still many, so many kinky things that I want. I want to have a double penetration at some point with, with two. Well, I would love to actually have a triple penetration with fleshy cocks. (laughs) But then also like, I love the idea of anyone else touching me at the same time. So I don't know. I guess for me, it always comes back to a gangbang.
1: That's a great list (laughs) and a great note to end on. I guess for me, it always comes down to a gangbang.
0: And if you could go back in time and give younger you a piece of sexual advice, what age would you pick and what would you say?
1: I had a period in my 20s when I thought that my most fun partner sex was over and that the real-world dating world was not going to accept my kinks. And I would go back then, I would go back to my late teens and say, you are about to encounter some insecure men who have no idea what kind of sexual resources they are dismissing. And you don't have to put up with that. And you can get all of your needs met. And it's okay for you to take as long as you need to realize that. But your teens were not the end for you. They were a glimpse of what gets possible when people get out of their own way and start to have sex with each other instead of in order to look good.